and plans, but as some people come in, we have a hard time with people sometimes. But the joy of that was that that couldn't have happened without people. And so we do need people. And I remind you certainly of, you know, the beginning of Genesis where there's that short little song where God's like, let us make man in our image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. And as such, it says, let us. So God has always lived in communion as the Trinity. The unfortunate thing is, as we were talking this morning and whatnot, that, yeah, bad things happen. <laughs> and uh, we'll get to the good people thing because there's no such thing as a good person. <laughs> like, like that was a, you know, we want to say people are good or, oh, I'm not that bad or something to that effect. But the Bible clearly states that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet some are justified by his grace as a gift. And so that's us. That's the church, right? And so as we finish this letter of 2 Timothy, we're going to see a lot of names. We're going to see a lot of directives. We're going to see a lot of motion, if you will. But I think within that motion, there is a lot of e-motion. Because there's two sides to every story, right? And so let me just stop with this and let's get where we're going. So dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for the blessings that you've given us. First and foremost, the salvation to call us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Secondly, your church, which you've blessed us with, what we are able to be and how we're able, despite all of our differences, to get along under the Lordship of you, Jesus. And so, as we approach your word today, certainly tune our hearts and our minds to your will. Uh, let this be certainly for the blessing of the congregation, but may it, of course, be for your glory, Lord. Uh, we love you. That's why we're here. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we're finishing 2 Timothy, I do want to recap even before we read the ultimate text, because I did plan a little shorter of a sermon today, just very simply because we're tying a knot on a bow at the end of this. And I wanted us to make sure that we had time to take that picture, because it's pretty awesome what God's done. <laughs> and so, whew. I'm already crying. It is going to be an emotional day. I really wasn't lying about that. Just because where we've all come from, where we've all been, and how we've all gotten to this point in and of ourselves. But I started this, ultimately, as gifts of grace according to the promise of life in Christ. That's the overarching entire eight-week sermon series title. Every week has had its own separate title, but we are talking about gifts of grace according to the promise of life in Christ. And we all share a multitude of gifts. And some of these gifts, first and foremost, is the gift of life, eternal life at that, along with a renewed meaning and purpose, one that's not temporary, one that's not formed by our culture, but one that God has ordained for his people as well as for all of creation. God gives his children the gift of being their father, of being their Lord, and of being their savior. 
What a friend we have in Jesus. What a great choice of a song for today. Faith is a gift of grace. It's not something you've brought on yourself. It's not that you've made some educated type of decision. There are situations and circumstances in your life that give you that faith that God is doing it. And I will add that this faith comes primarily through dealing with cruddy situations and circumstances in our life to where we've gotten through a terrible event, but we're still standing and we're stronger than we were because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because of God's great love that's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Family and friends are a gift of grace. There was this, and, and honestly, you know, I, there's several of you, but as Kim shared her story, children are a blessing from God. It's not something that you own. It's, it's not a, a human being that you get to control. As you know, they are their own people. You've been given a blessing if you've been given the opportunity to raise children. Family and friends stem from that, right? And so there's probably no better family than God's family. You know, it's, it's funny. I was talking to my mom even this week, and she was talking about our family stuff from a long time ago, which is completely irrelevant by any standard that I have going forward today. But ultimately, like, she's trying to compare and trying to justify how, well, this wasn't that bad, and that's pretty good, and, well, they had it that way, and so-and-so had it that way. But in the end, I'm like, I don't know that anybody's family has abstained from drama of any kind ever. And, you know, we think about those that we know that maybe they seem a little well put together than others, but at the same time, that's not necessarily the truth. As we learned from another gift, the gift of discernment, that there are outside appearances that people have, but you can't necessarily know the inside heart motives. Just because maybe someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean that they're a Christian. I can say I'm an astronaut, but I've never been to the moon, I've never been to NASA, I've never been anywhere. Does that make me an astronaut just because I said it? No, of course not. But that's the reality of what some people are playing out there in the world. God gives his children the Holy Spirit as a gift of grace. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, as it's written in the first chapter. God's given us powerful truth for confident living, the gospel testimony of Jesus and God's word, the Bible or the scriptures. God's given us sound examples in word and deed, first and foremost, his son Jesus. Secondly, the church throughout the generations. Maybe even Paul could be considered a sound example in word and deed as he's exclaimed in this letter, which coincidentally is his last letter that he's written. God saved us. He's called us to a holy calling, not because of something we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Another gift of grace is God's faithfulness. 
God's faithfulness is truly a gift of grace because regardless of me and my faithlessness at times, God's faithfulness continues and endures forever. He does not step back from a promise that he has made. He does not change his mind. And as is written in Leviticus, God is not man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. And as it's written in Hebrews, God is the same yesterday and today and forever. The gift of discernment from God, the ability to be able to see and understand the world and people as God created and sees them. God's also given us gifts called spiritual gifts that we can fan into flame as Paul encourages Timothy to do and to use because they will help you endure and be steadfast throughout what seemingly is a difficult life. Wisdom, this again comes from the word of God as well as seeing Jesus in and of itself. Wisdom for a life lived inside of his grace. We've got examples of many different types of people as well as tons of history to go through. Tons of culture and how culture has shaped people, but how God has ultimately shaped people to be very different than what culture says. We have the gift of walking with Jesus both now as well as forever. This kind of ties back into life and eternal life, if you will. But we do. And again, much like the song that Kim chose lastly, what a friend we have in Jesus. We walk with him both now and forever. In addition to the gift of the Holy Spirit, God continues to grow within us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then the world of legalism and lawlessness, those fruits of the Spirit set you free from the law. won't hold you. Now, more challenging concepts. Suffering and persecutions are gifts of grace that God's given us. And, of course, tying back into the Holy Spirit as well, God is making us complete in Christ. And this is called sanctification. It's the process of being made holy. And it's a lifelong adventure. It's not something that's one and done. It is truly a lifelong adventure until we physically die, get out of these sin suits, but are raised with Christ again in the spirit, having a new body. Now, as you look upon today and you consider all those gifts of grace, and especially what I just said, especially suffering and persecutions, and the process of sanctification. This all ties into the gift of your ministry for Christ. Or, I guess I could say, your life of serving. If you look at the back of your shirts, they say, love Jesus, love people. And those are the two great commandments. Simplified. For us. So, the text today. 
says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Orastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Just to recap, again, this was a letter of encouragement from an elder to an elder in a church dealing with timidity and fear. Fear of persecution, fear of judgment, fear of the outside world. We have no need, ultimately, to be fearful of the outside world. I don't think any of us have to worry about being beaten or jailed for talking about Jesus like they were in the first century. However, that doesn't change the fact that we're all fearful about something that I would consider lesser, which is people liking us, or the simple fact of people in general. It's within that that we can look at these experiences of Paul and his ministry and see that they weren't always so good. They weren't always sunshine and rainbows as others may preach out there, which is a lie because we all know and have experienced life and it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You can see in this that there are successes and there are failures. You can see in this that there is a sense of fidelity or loyalty to Paul, as well as there's defection from Paul. People who have been loyal to him, people that have turned on him. You can see in this that there are people who are encouraging, and then you can see people who are a detriment to him. You can see in this that there are people 
who seemingly come out only as an executioner. But what you may not see in this, too, is that maybe they were just an ex-companion and something happened along the lines of their relationship. You can see that some people are praised you can see that some people are blamed. You can see that there's a sense of blunt honesty and then there's a very dull vagueness to this story. Some people are outspoken and then there's some people who are silent. And then, of course, some people, the Lord, have strengthened Paul, ultimately, in the end, while other human beings, bent to their own will and desires, have deserted them. Paul, to his own ministry and the challenges that he's had. Now, I want to highlight a couple things in the text, not what I've actually highlighted yet, but the very first thing that I think everyone needs to see, and as Paul has been in this for, you know, this was written at the end of his ministry while he's jailed in Rome, and he's feeling that he's not going to get out of jail this time. But he does say that at my first defense, verse 16, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then that very next sentence, I don't know that many of us can say this because it takes a lot of maturity. May it not be charged against them. Most of us in our meekness and in our selfishness, that mark of sin where we fail to glorify God as we were created to do, but we aim to glorify ourselves, which is the downfall, we would be like, they did that, they deserve this. But to show a sign of forgiveness to people who have deserted you in your moment of need, that comes through 30 plus years of ministry experience with Paul and his ministry of going around planting churches in many, many, many different locations throughout Europe and Africa and you know, the Middle East. So how fascinating is that, that Paul can say that? I know it... It's taken me a long time, and it took me a very hard circumstance to show anybody any type of mercy, because I'm like, well, why do you keep sticking your finger in the light socket? Don't you know better by now? How many times do you have to be zapped before you're like, gosh, I shouldn't do that? But it's not always the case, and it's not their fault, because I don't think you give the temptations from within and the trials from without, not that they need tons of respect, but you have to be aware of them. You have to not shrug it off as if it's non-existent. It is a gigantic problem, sin. This world is going away because of it and will continue to. I mean, yes, biblically, Jesus is bringing a new heaven, new earth, when he comes back, overlaying this one, this planet's going away. But we can see the destruction that sin does. 
We can see people aiming for power and stepping all over the throats of many people in an attempt to get that. Much like the love of money that people have. Because they get a lot of their meaning and their worth from life out of non-existent animate objects. Inanimate objects. Money doesn't actually walk and talk, that'd be kind of weird. However, I really want to ask you these questions because I think we really need to think about these things. Because as much as we said, why do bad things happen to good people? You're making assumptions that aren't biblically accurate because there aren't good people. And honestly, if I asked each of you, what's the definition of good? You would all come up with a relatively similar answer, but not the same answer. Because you have a different personal opinion about what good is. But I beg you to question, how do you think someone grows in mercy? Is it just something the Holy Spirit does and you wake up one day and you're just like, you get mercy and you get mercy and you get mercy and you get mercy. Mercy all around. You go to the bar and like, I'm buying mercy for everyone. It doesn't work like that. As I said earlier, I had to go through a significantly hard experience in order for people, myself, to be able to give any type of mercy. And so, how do you think you grow in forgiveness? Do you think, again, you just wake up one day maybe because the Holy Spirit's in you and you're like, I just forgive everybody because, well, everything's great. No, not at all. The way you grow in forgiveness is by having to extend it. And tell me, is that a positive event when you get to extend forgiveness to someone? Or is it a dying to self and living for Christ type of event through the efforts of sanctification in order for you to really understand the forgiveness that you have been given? Because many people are like, I'm not that bad. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Romans 3.23. Don't forget it. It's one of those things that hopefully God has written on your heart. Because if you're going around thinking you're not that bad, you're doomed. And I don't joke about that. How, <laughs> this is one of the craziest things, how do you think you grow in patience as a fruit of the Spirit? Is it by getting everything that you want right away when you want it? Is that how you grow in patience? Because a lot of people seem to think that and that it's just done for you. Or is there possibly something that maybe you even desperately need for survival that is dangling like a carrot in front of you that you just can't seem to reach? How do we grow in grace towards others? You've been showered with grace. There are two types of people in this world, those that are in Christ and then everybody else. That's it, in a nutshell. But how do you show unmerited favor to other people? <laughs> Is it by having them do everything that you want them to do when you want them to do it? 
Because that's what, you know, the prosperity gospel says. And that you should totally just have, you know, sunshine and rainbows all the time. It's not how that works. How do you think you grow in steadfastness? How do you think you grow in staying secure and level and able to stand on the solid rock that is Christ? Because let's be real, the second we get out of here, we're like, yeah, Jesus was great this morning, but I got this thing over here I got to do, and this over here I got to do, and that over there I got to do, and I got to deal with people, and I don't really want to deal with people because I don't like people, but ultimately I got to deal with these things. You've just stepped off the rock and have just gone into the pond of mess. So how do you stay steadfast in Christ? Well... You get messy in your mess. That's how you learn to stand on the solid rock wherever you're at. Because you know that that mess is really messy. Whatever it is, whatever it may look like, it's definitely not as fun as we want it to be. How do we grow in faithfulness? How do you think we can grow in faithfulness? I'm not going to answer that for you. I'm not even going to give you a little loop to think about. Here's the toughest one. How do we grow in self-control? Oh, that's that temptation from within. That's that sin in you coming alive. I want that. I covet that. I desire that. And I don't care if I hurt myself or anybody else around me as long as I get what I want. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, as Paul wrote in the first chapter, verse 7. But it's within that that we certainly have to analyze. Are we steadfast? Are we standing on rock? Are we faithful to Jesus? Are we here because of what Jesus says? Or are we here because of our own personal wants and desires in life? And then, of course, how do we grow in reconciliation? You know that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, and in fact, that's what had to happen in the first place. Jesus came down to reconcile us back to the Heavenly Father in the first place. And then if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're doing. We are being used by God to help reconcile other people to God. And so reconciliation isn't easy. It takes a conflict to even have the opportunity to work on reconciliation. And sadly, some of us run away from reconciliation. I don't want to deal with that. That's going to be hard you bet it is. Sanctification is hard. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, even though there is no law against them and all the, the blessings that the Holy Spirit gives us in that fruit of the Spirit, they take work. <clears throat> they take effort. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. None of these things are easy to grow in. And it takes time, effort, energy. 
takes a conscious effort, a conscious thought. But look again how Paul, throughout all of this, says some of the most beautiful things. I think it's beautiful in the sense that you see all these people that he's working with too. Because we can't do life alone. As much as many of us want to, we can't. It's impossible. You need other people. You cannot do everything for yourself. There are times that I exhume what a prophet will exhume, and I'm starting to think sometimes it would be better if I lived in a cave by myself. There are times where I wonder, who has heard us, Lord? Does anybody listen? What are we doing? Is this profitable? Like, why am I here? <laughs> you know, let's come. Come back, Jesus. Let's go. I think the easiest thing, and maybe it's a heart check for all of us, whether or not you're in love with the world, because if you're not crying for Jesus to come back, then you're in love with this world, and there's a problem within you. It's called sin. It's what Jesus came for. It's why we're dying. And as you see from Paul, after 30 years of ministry, he's not holding anything against any one person in any way. They deserted him. They abandoned him. He did harm, but he's not going for vengeance. He says what we have to say ourselves. The Lord will repay Vengeance is mine, I will repay, declares the Lord. That's the exact verse written in both the Psalms as well as Romans. But he says this too, may it not be charged against them. Don't hold them captive to their sin because you are a slave to your sin, much as hopefully over time you become a slave to the righteousness that is Christ and the goodness that is in him. It's this constant battle, this spiritual war that we deal with on a regular basis, day to day, minute by minute, second by second at times. And we all stumble, but we all get back up. And so I think the most captivating part of this whole thing, not that we're going to be like Paul exactly or anything like that. You are you. I will never ask you to be like someone else because you are you. You can't be like Jesus. You can't be like Paul. You can't be like David. You can't be like, and let's be real, aside from Jesus, if I'm asking you to be like any other character in the Bible, I'm asking you to be a sinner. <laughs> like, show me any character other than Jesus that did everything well. King David, like, come on, man. He was caught in adultery and he killed his best friend. Abraham tried to sell his wife to a guy so he didn't get in trouble. And he's the forefather of faith. Moses denied God way too long and for way too much. Like, Lord, I think you got the wrong guy. I did that too. You can't be like me. You should be like you. There are 8 billion people on this planet, each one of them uniquely different. The only two types of people that exist, those that are in Jesus Christ for salvation. They've trusted him. They understand that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nothing, no works that they do secure that salvation. And then there's everybody else fighting, fighting for whatever it is they think they need to get through this life the best they can because they don't have hope 
like those in Christ have hope. So don't be like those other people either. Don't be like King David. <laughs> don't be an adulterer and a murderer. Don't be like Abraham and a liar and Moses and every other biblical character that's out there. I mean, look at the apostles, the people that even were around Jesus. Peter denied him three times. Then he doubted Jesus when he's like, yeah, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, no, I won't. And then he did. <laughs> like, ah, oh, why? But even when you know better and whatnot. But I think this is the key, and I think Paul has laid it out for us, and it's what I highlighted. And I think if you think about the circumstances of your life, and the challenges that you've had, and maybe the worst case scenario that you can think of, you can look back and say, but the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me. I went through hell, but the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me. And I could go around this room, and knowing what I know, about each and every one of you? It's the truth. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've even had it myself. Praise the Lord. Now it's the second part of that sentence. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. I remind you of your great commission, which is the great commission of every believer. It's to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's why we're here. I know we haven't all latched on to that, but that's why you're here. You are ambassadors for Christ. You are an example to give hope to other people because you have had hope poured into you. I'll repeat that. You are hope to other people because you have had hope poured into you. Everybody that's in Christ has Christ, understands Christ, may lose sight of Christ momentarily, but very quickly returns to Christ. For those people who have gone through the crappy events of our lives that don't have Jesus, where are they? Odds are many of them killed themselves because they don't have any hope. And they're like, this world sucks. And I don't blame them. They don't know the hope that we have in Christ. They just know what the world throws at them. And it's crap. There might be moments of highs, but there's a lot more lows. If you're real and honest, there's a ton more lows. The situations and the circumstances that shape and mold people aren't always positive. Much like I was talking about families earlier. One would think that there would be love in this little unit of a family. But then you hear stories of parents that torture their children. And you're like, what the hell? And maybe that's the answer. Hell. But... For those that have hope, and for those that regardless of the situation, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, 
and to him be the glory forever and ever because grace is with me. And then I added at the bottom of this sheet something that we all need to know, and especially as the, the storms come and the waves hit and everything else. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And it's true. Having gone through ridiculous situations myself, they have shaped me and changed me so that I can be a better servant of the Lord, so that I can be a better ambassador for Christ. Not that necessarily I wanted these things, but it's the calling, and it's the truth for life, because this isn't it. Because if this was it, then we as Christians are of all people most to be pitied. The Apostle Paul wrote that too, and he's right. If my hope was in this world and dealing with sin and trying to help people get out of their sin cycles and the lack of self-control and the hate and the fear and the anguish and the pain and the suffering, blah, I can't do it. And I even now willingly admit there are many issues I can't help people. I can, I can love you, I can encourage you through the word of God, I can do it, but I can't walk the walk for you. I can't talk the talk for you. It's something you have to do on your own and for yourself. And this is all of our individual walks. You see Paul's, and man, it's spread throughout all the New Testament, right? All the stuff he's been through, the beatings, the floggings, the jailings, the yellings, the all kinds of stuff. And we've probably had but a fraction of that. So, look at that bulletin again. And maybe the Lord will write this on your heart, that regardless of where you find yourself, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And the reason why the Lord stands by me and strengthens me is so that the good news... And the reality of the truth about our Lord and Savior might be fully proclaimed to those around me so that they too might have hope that this thing, whatever it is we're going through, isn't the be-all, end-all. And then while I chose the end of verse 18 to highlight, to Him be the glory forever and ever, maybe you need to see that the Lord will rescue you from every evil deed and bring you safely into his kingdom. Maybe that's what you need to hold on to in these moments. But understanding this, that the Lord certainly stands by you and strengthens you, and that this is all about his glory. It's his world. We're all here because he willed us to be here. Not because of things we've done. And so what we can rest in is that God's unmerited favor, His grace, is with us at all times. And then we know this very simple truth, and I certainly encourage you to read more of chapter 8 of Romans as well, is that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And as Romans 8 finishes, what can separate us from the love of God? 
neither height, nor depths, nor angels, nor rulers, nor powers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's the good news. Because it's true. We're in Christ. I hope the Lord gives us opportunities. Obviously, I certainly hope, too, that they're not as hard as some of these opportunities. But the beauty of it all is that through your hardships and through your challenges, the ability to speak confidently to others who are struggling with many similar challenges, that empathy that God builds within us can be used certainly as an encouragement to many other people along the path and along the ways. And so remember our identity. Remember our association with the Lord. Remember that ultimately Jesus changed your life, right? You were dead. You were dead like everybody else in this world. You were wandering. You were chasing after things that were going to bring you momentary lapses of joy. You were dead to yourself. You were dead to others. You are dead to the world. And then came an amazing event. You had an experience with the living God. It was by the name of Jesus. And within that experience with the living God, he gave you life, and a new life, and a strong life, and a heartbeat. And so don't live in fear. There's no need to. He gave you the spirit not of fear, but of power. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is power that's living within you. The spirit is also written as the promise and the seal and the guarantee of our being with God. So do you know Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life? Stand on it. Understand it. Realize that's the overarching biggest purpose and calling of everything that we do. And that someday we'll be with him. And there'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more crying. And God will be in our midst. There won't even be darkness anymore because God is light. Man, that's going to be an amazing day. And even as I... As I cried earlier, my heart sings with joy because I can only imagine what that's going to be. And as the Apostle Paul says too in Romans chapter 8, which is why I'm really encouraging you to read Romans chapter 8, I am sure that the present sufferings will pale in comparison to the glory that is revealed to us. It's God's Word. It's the truth. It's led by the Holy Spirit. Just think about that. Ponder that. In the midst of all this, so your gift of ministry for Christ, while certainly not easy, is always in a positive light. Because God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Maybe not in that minute, and maybe hindsight's twenty twenty, and maybe you won't even see the fruit of the hardship that you went through, but God's using it for good for someone. And so we can all praise the Lord for that. But more so, we can praise the Lord that the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Wherever I find myself, the Lord has stood by me and strengthened me. Dear Heavenly Father, certainly I thank you for all of these blessings that you've given us as gifts of grace according to the promise of life in you. May we continue to explore and understand what all these promises of life in Christ look like 
But Lord Jesus, may you continue to hold our hands despite our unwillingness to have our hands held at times. May we certainly uh, be rescued from whatever we need to be rescued. And let us trust that you will bring us safely into your heavenly kingdom forever and ever. To you, Lord Jesus, is the glory forever and ever. And Lord, your grace is with us regardless of where we are. So we love you, Lord Jesus. We trust in your words. We trust in your works. We trust in your life. Just lead us well until we finally are face to face with you again someday. May we be used in your service for your glory and ultimately our good and the good of those around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.